1: Yes, we are the brave, we'll fight you in May,
0: the name of the brave, we are the U.S. of A. for those unaware, that flag is still there, it's a future to say this land of the brave, the U.S. of A. All right, good morning, all you Veteran Be Real listeners out there, Sergeant Be Real here. I got Stephen Kuhn. This guy, let me tell you, this guy has not only one got some great information for you about what's going on and what the entrepreneurial world for the veteran life is like, but this guy is crazy successful. He's done a lot of things, but like all of us as veterans, I'm sure he's run into a few hurdles or hiccups or road bumps. So he's going to talk to us a little bit about all that. So, Stephen, the floor is yours, my friend. Let's hear what you got to say, my friend.
1: Thanks, brother. Great to be on your show. Congratulations on starting this thing. Pretty cool. It's a nice addition to your nonprofit. Yeah. Well, you know, I was in the military. I joined back in 1986, went in from Pennsylvania. I went to Fort Knox boot camp, headed out to Germany. It was in, during the Cold War, which a lot of people forgot about. Yeah. And I uh, ended up in a cavalry unit, first an army unit, then a cavalry unit. And then we went to the border patrol, went and did border patrol, which was probably the best duty I ever had. You know, yeah. So you were literally, it was like pucker factor 10 right on the border, literally five feet apart from the enemy. No fence. Because our border had no fence. We just had match what they called match sticks, long white poles with a red top or a blue top. And that was so exciting, man. You know, because we got to mess with them all the time. So we cut fake weapons out of cardboard and tape them to like a fire extinguisher and like walk around like with new weapons. And they were going crazy taking pictures and stuff. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. It was, all about, it was all about disinformation the whole time. Yeah. And what I did there was I always since I was a tanker, I was a 19 kilo, what I did there is we were infantry so we parked the tanks and walked basically and we walked you know 100 kilometers every two days so I don't know, whatever that is, 116 miles or whatever it is, probably probably more than that and I always volunteered to just kill myself so I'd carry the m60 and the ammo which you, you never did just to you know push myself because yeah. I was never that stellar in shape guy, never. Even in boot camp, I would force myself to run at the front because I knew if I was in the back and no one saw me, I'd probably fall out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I, you know, I'd be running up front vomiting on myself. That's how that's how bad it was. And then later when I got to Germany, I was vomiting on myself because I was still drunk. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there, Steve, stop
0: inflicting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's all we did back in the day. Well, you know, that the Cold War went was shot by pretty quick. And then in 1990, we were sent to Iraq, Operation the Storm with Task Force 8th Cavalry, Battle of 73 Easting with two ACR, McMasters, and you know the whole story, right? Yep. And there I lost a really good buddy, Sergeant Young Dillon, died in my arms. He was, he was a pretty good guy. And from that day on, I remember for the last look he gave me he was like, don't fuck this up, man. Like, I'm here, I'm leaving now because, so you could stay, kind of thing, you know? yeah. Yeah. So from that point on, I always sort of took solace in that when I had hard times or whatever, and I had plenty. I always uh, looked back at his eyes. I remember his eyes going, don't fuck this up. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I don't. But I still fucked up anyway, many, plenty of times. After I got out of the military after eight years in Europe, in Germany. I spent eight years in Germany, except for the Iraq tour. And I did what they call a European out. So I got, I got out in Europe. So I never went back to the States to so out-process. I out-processed in Europe, walked off base, and I was a civilian. Nice. And man, talk about transition! <laughs>
0: yeah, you're going to have you know, some different. You're going to have a few different little thirds here being a <laughs> European guy now, because you know everybody out there. Stephen lives in Europe still. He's still there in Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've been here since, including my army time, since 1986. It's now, you know, to 2020. It's crazy. Yeah. But what I did do was, while I was in the military, I learned German. So I was at the border, and I wanted to know what they were going to say, what they were saying on the other side, right? So I was like, right. oh man, I can end the Cold War if I figure it out. You know, that kind of shit. Right? And you know, the private, you have big aspirations. I just wanted to do something small, like end the war. And (laughs) I'm serious. I really thought that. So I'm reading the German dictionary and then read newspapers and then just to learn to read the newspaper, read a word, look it up, read a word, look it up. I mean, it was tedious, but what else you can do in the barracks? In the Cold War, you weren't allowed to go out all the time. You had to have weekend passes and stuff like that. So, and I I realized real quick that because I spoke German, I got to always, the brigade always called me to translate for the, for the mayor, the governor, the whoever, right? So I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, so I got a special skill that not, not, not many have that I got to put to good use. And then I met all the, you know, colonel, and then I became the colonel's driver, which is supposed to be an honor, but it really wasn't, you know, and that kind of stuff. So when I got out, I said, well, how can I make myself the same, right? How can I make myself sort of unique? So what I did was I went, what are you gonna do as a tanker? I got out and didn't really speak German good enough to get like a business job. So I became a doorman. Right, once at the hard Rock, one at the Hard Rock Cafe and one at the techno club. So they were different hours. Te- techno clubs opened at twelve midnight. The Hard Rock closed at eleven. So I worked from seven to eleven, and then from twelve to like twelve at the techno club. It was underground, and I, I said, "Well, how can I be different?" And the difference I was, is I had p- raging PTSD, but no one knew what it was back then. No one talked about it. No one even diagnosed it. So I just fought everybody. Like I literally just fought all the time, and I did it to protect the establishment to to ensure that there was no you know trouble in it because it was in berlin at the time where i was living it was still the allied forces were still there so you had the brits the french and the americans and there was always fights like constantly but i didn't tolerate it so i got a name for myself as like the you know the guy who doesn't take any shit but it sort of backfired on me because people then started sending other troops of people there to say let's take this guy out you know kind of thing yeah yeah, so I got I got all messed up with the Arab mafia, and you know they threatened to kill me and stuff. And one of my guys got stabbed from those guys. I mean, just just crazy stuff. And then and then pimps and their prostitutes and drugs. I wasn't into drugs and stuff, but all these guys were around me because the nightclub scene I didn't know, but the doorman scene was controlled by the mafia, right? So you had the Arabic mafia on one side, and you had the East Germans on the other side, which were pimps. Prostitution is legal in Germany, but pimping isn't. So they have to have a legit job. So they just all become doormen. They open their doorman companies and they force these people, these club owners, to hire them, or they take your club over. So I was in the middle. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about you guys. What you can't scare me. I was am a veteran or you know that kind of shit. I Man, I got the crap beat out of me. I don't know how many times, but I never. You know, like I guess they just thought I was stupid, so they sort of left me alone and tolerated my my stupidness. So I, I, I got out of that when I decided to open my own bar. And opened a cocktail bar called Ma Deuce, and anybody who's been on a 50 caliber knows what a Ma Deuce is. It's a Brownie machine gun, model two. But no one in Germany knew that. I said it meant second mother, you know? And the way I did that was interesting because I didn't have any money. And I went to the brewery and I said, hey, here's my concept. And I, I did like, just back in the day, there weren't really computers or cell phones or nothing like that. And I drew out my plan the cocktail bar with a little bit of food and the design, the seats and everything. And I went to the brewery and I said, can you guys finance this for me? And like, well, we don't finance bars. I said, we'll look at it. What I'll do is I'll pay the loan back and I will buy all of my liquor and all of my beer from you guys until the loan is paid off at a 10% higher price. I mean, I mean, I really sucked it up there. So they said, okay. So they financed the whole thing. It was 200 grand, 200,000. And it was only 40 square meters, whatever that is in feet. I have no idea, but it's only sat 40 people. So it was very small, but it was my dream. So it was all mahogany and, you know, green wooden floor. It was beautiful, beautiful. And I had the, the mirror in the back and the stacks of bottles where I could flip them and, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, Tom Cruise style. And I lined all my army stuff up in there, right? So I had all my pictures in there and all my stuff in the army on top of the bar, above the bar. And that attracted the Marines that were at the, at the embassy. Then, that, then it attracted the RSO, the regional security officer, and his team. Then it attracted, because they were there, attracted the German police, the SWAT, the special SWAT, and all these guys. So the next thing you know, my bar was full of military and police, right? Just I mean, the way you
0: wanted
1: it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was no, It was awesome. It was, aw- it was yeah, awesome.
0: Safety in numbers, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, a guy actually came in and robbed us one night. You know, And then, and then yeah, a guy walked in and was like, oh, I money? you know, And then they just all pulled their jackets back and. There was like 30 weapons in there. there. Yeah, <laughs> And the guy's like, 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 oh, shit, and just ran in out.
0: 30 seconds, hit the door. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I I, I did well. But at the same time, I got asked from one of the guests, hey, man, could you help me bring a South African health club chain to Germany? And I'm like, sure. I had no freaking clue what the hell he was talking about. But I'm like, yeah, of course. I, I always say, say yes first and figure it out later. Yeah. So that's what I did. And it was a listed company, meaning they're on the stock market in South, South Africa. And I killed it. I mean, I broke every record because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just went out and did what, it, what, what we do. We just kill it, right? And they're like, who is this guy? What's this guy doing? So they kept promoting me until the, it wasn't even a year later I was running the whole country. Opened up seven locations. But I still had my bars and I, a bar and I opened up another bar and another bar, right? So at the same time. And then I got headhunted from a, a British PLC, another listed company, to bring their chain to Germany. And I ended up staying with them on and off for 15 years and ran the company of thirty five hundred people in nine countries and eighty-seven locations where I developed an entire sales program and, you know, I you name it, I did it. And to this day it's still it's still running. It's the largest health club chain in Europe. And through that time I had also then opened a club. <laughs> so right <laughs> you know, and you what, had
0: nothing else to do, right? So that's just <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I had people doing it for me. So, you know, I had I had friends and family and that kind of stuff. My, my I had a girlfriend at the time, my ex-wife, then later. And they sort of, I just checked in, you know, collected the money, checked in, collected the money and checked in. When I was traveling, my, my wife at the time did it. And I got a name for myself as a guy in the service industry. So I had health clubs and bars and and, and clubs. And what happens in those situations, and this is what a lot of people don't think about, is that no matter where if I was a doorman at the Hard Rock Cafe, at a techno disco, running a club, having a bar, or at the executive, at the executive level, I always ensured that everyone I met, employee, customer, boss, always left our um, interaction in a better mood, in better spirits than when we met. And I knew if I did that, they're gonna say well, something about this guy. So that's, that's what I did. And it just extrapolated, and just kept getting more and more and more to the point where I was turning stuff down left and right thinking that I was untouchable because, you know, I literally had, you know, I was, I got out of 27 at the age of 32, I was making 250,000 euros or DMARC at the time, which would be probably $200,000 at the time, plus a hundred thousand dollar bonus. And, you know, I'm like, I made it, you know, and I let go to my head, got, you know, chubby and then I got fat. My marriage ended, um, a short time after, and then I had a, you know, massive crash, massive crash. Uh, where in one day I lost the job with the with the three and a half thousand employees. My wife was in an accident at the time, and she had been cheating with somebody, and that's why she was in an accident. And so I left her like that day, and I lost all my money in a bad investment—not all of it, but most of it. So I was like, Jesus, what the hell am I going to do now? You know, this is 2002. I just I just paid for my MBA um, that I was doing in Leeds in the UK, and I was like, shit, what am I going to do now? And one of my I had some friends over and they were looking at a box on top of my computer at the time. And I said, what's that box? I said, oh, that's a box of little little pieces of paper that I would write my thoughts about when I was in the bar and there wasn't nothing going on. And I took it down. They're like, holy shit, you need to, you need to write a book. I was like, come on. Who the fuck's going to read my book, you know? And so they're like, just do it. So I wrote 30 pages, sent it to six publishers, and one publisher picked it up. And they were literally 10 minutes down, down the road from my house. And they did an article on me. It was, it was a full it was It was a third page, a third side, so a full article. And you know, something happened before that I'll tell you about in a second, but this was in two thousand three, and they did an article about it in a newspaper to test to see if it was worth writing the book. Well, that article came out the day the war started in two thousand and three, the new Iraq war, or the, this Iraq war, which immediately pre-sold my book to bestseller before it was even written. <laughs> It's crazy because when they saw that, they're like, you know, let put it out, slap the cover on it and put it out in the price, but it wasn't even written yet. And there was a lot of things that I did in between that I didn't talk about. Like in 1998, I heard on the radio, the Stones, Rolling Stones were coming to Berlin and that their bodyguard, did just mentioned like, by the way, the bodyguard staying in London because he hurt his back. And so I waited for him to go to the hotel. I, I knew where his hotel was, the Stones. And I w- went to the lobby. Everyone knew me because I had a cocktail bar and all of the people in the industry would come to my cocktail bar on Thursday nights for half price, half price cocktails. And I waited for Mick Jagger. When he came down, I said, hey, Mick Jagger, how you doing? I'm I'm your new bodyguard. He was like, what? Who sent you? I said, I, I sent me. He's like, what? Who, what? Who the hell are you? I said, I'm, I'm a veteran. I live here. I speak German. I know the city like the back of my hand uh, and I can set you up. And he's like, uh, talk to CJ. And CJ was his assistant or something. And CJ said, one question and you got the job. I'm like, what is it? And he said, do you, know, do you know where to get the best German sausage? I said, I do indeed. He goes, good. How's 400 bucks a day? And so, you know, shit like that happened to me all the time. So I got to hang out with Mick Jagger for three weeks, man. You know, I mean, that was like epic. And then I met Ron Wood and, you know, uh, yeah, and Charlie Watts. And then I met and then Pamela Anderson and I worked with her. It, was just, it just kept going like that. So people always ask me like, man, if you did all this stuff, why aren't you a millionaire? Well, that's because I never made a career out of anything. Like, I really just wanted to do exciting things, what I wanted to do, right? <laughs> and it always paid the bills, so I was never worried about it. And I think that that has a lot to do with the mindset. And I don't mean like positive, let's go. It's The mindset is don't pressure yourself to do something for money. Don't pressure yourself to do something because you think you got to do it. Do something that's exciting and dare yourself to do something. Dare yourself to walk up to Mick Jagger and use his full name and tell him, you know, you're your new bodyguard. Dare yourself. I mean, I did the same thing with Olivia Newton-John and I worked for her for three years. And, and I did the same thing with Andrea Bocelli, which is a famous Italian tenor. Mm-hmm. Worked for him for two years. Did the same thing with them, except it wasn't a bodyguard. I was their business consultant. I helped them manage their their, their business for Olivia. Expanded Olivia's company into Europe and into six countries. And Andrea Bocelli, I managed part of his business. Um, and it was all just walking up, basically, to him, you know, backstage and stuff like that. So always dare yourself to do things that you would love to do, because if you love to do them, it'll show in your in your the way you speak to these people. Yeah. Right. You know, when I was in the military, I always I would you know I got days off for the whole company because I just asked the general, like I want to I want to have a long I want to have a long weekend. Walk up to the general in front of everybody, hey general, what do you think? Give us a long weekend? Oh, it's a good idea, coon. Let's do it. My commander would chew my ass. I'd have I'd have to pull guard duty. Everybody else had the weekend off, <laughs> but you know I got punished for it. But <laughs> you it can was everybody
0: else like, more oh, Yeah, <laughs> have a that's good, time, good.
1: Yeah, exa- well, it, it was cool for me because I'm like, okay, I got one. Uh, you know, everyone owes me in a way. You know, like, you know, I did it. I did it. You know, that kind of stuff. And I always got in trouble for it, but never enough trouble to be in, in real trouble. It just got like slapping slap on the hands.
0: Or like, yeah. I did that. I
1: did that shit all the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I do that still to this day. You know, I'm always pushing the threshold because I believe that you can literally do anything you want to do if you just freaking do it. Oh, I can't do I'm not qualified. I can't. I need to get a degree. And no, fuck that. Excuse my friends. Just do it. You know, there's so many things that I should have never been qualified to do that I did. You know, I I came out of the army as a tanker, no college degree, nothing. And I was the head executive of three and a half thousand employees, running a corporation in in nine countries. Excuse me? You know what I mean? Like, talk about imposter syndrome. I was really like, wow, what the heck's going on? You know? So, you know, anyway, so it's the the, the fact is this. I always got to do all these things I wanted to do because I just went out and did them. I, I never let anybody stop me or tell me I couldn't do it or you got to be qualified. Or you got to have a degree. You know, the reason I got my MBA is because when I took over that company or worked with that company with three and a half thousand employees, I did a joint venture with an American corporation and they wanted to make me, the, the Brits wanted to make me the managing director. And the Americans are like, he doesn't have an MBA. He can't do that. I'm like, what? Really? Fuck you. I want to get an MBA. You know? So I went, and, I went and paid for it and got accepted or I got accepted. Then I paid for it. And then I went went out and started to get it. By the time I was I was done with it, the, the joint venture was over anyway. So yeah. you know, and you know, it was one of those things where I just just kept going and going and going anyway. So then everything was going well because the book came out, and I did a year book tour. I did an entire TV magazine newspaper, you name it, I did it for one year straight, solid through. I was on every TV channel every single day to the point where, after about three or four months, they started dis, you know uninviting me. To the, to the interviews, because they're like, hey, you know, yeah. everybody knows who you are now. It's I'm like, it's, <laughs> your story's not new, so move, move on. Yeah. But there was always some kind of small newspaper or something. Anyway, so that got me into the press, right? So then then they asked me to be like a co-news anchor and, you know, just kind of goofy stuff, because I had like a American accent, but not too bad, where you could actually understand me. I speak German like a German. And that book, to this day, is a bestseller. That, that was in 2003, to this day, it's a bestseller, and it's like, gets me when Su when Suleimani was uh, taken out a couple months ago, they called me for a radio radio interview. I mean, they just it's they still contact my publisher and stuff. And then after that, you know, I went back to or I went to I had another American company called Star Trek, who makes health club machines, and they wanted to open up a corporate corporation in Europe. So I did that. I brought the corporation to Europe, worked there for two years, and turned a bunch of distributors into corporate employees in Germany and Austria. And at the time, I had no idea what the hell I was doing either. I just figured it out. You just figured it out. What do you want? What do you need? Where do you want it to lead? How much profit do you want to make? Okay, thanks. Leave me alone now. Let me make it happen. And I just go and make it happen. So what, the way I make it happen is I bring people on that I know can do it. I don't have to do it. See, everyone thinks you have to do it yourself. No, you don't. You have to manage the process. You can delegate the task, but never the responsibility. And that's the, that, that was the key factor in me being successful in many industries. matter of fact, years later, when I was back at that health club chain in, in Zurich in Switzerland, Apple reached out to me and, and asked if I was interested in working for them as a cluster manager, which means I would run German-speaking countries. And they looked at my resume and they're like, how can you be doing so many things? You're on like three boards, you run this company, you do this, you do that. How, how is that possible? There's no way you can do this. I was like, well, actually, I have a lot of free time. They're like, how? I said, I delegate. Yeah, but you know, how can you be sure this gets done? I said, because I don't delegate responsibility. I delegate just a task. They come in and check on me, tell me what to check in, check in with me, tell me what's up, and then they, I go yes or no, or they give me their ideas, and off they go. Simple as that. So you got to leverage your knowledge to the point where you get people. You want to surround yourself, and everybody's heard this: surround yourself with people smarter than you. And that's that was one of my keys to success. And I never wanted to do stuff myself like I don't want to sit and be lost in translation or lost in an excel sheet. I can do it and I do I know how to read a P&L and budget and write a 5-year business plan all that kind of stuff. But I don't like it. So why should I do it, right? And even if I at the end of my days, I'm 53 in a couple of days, even at the if, even if, if at the end of my days I'm not a rich bastard like, you know, everyone thinks they should be at the end of their life. I can tell you what I lived, man. Like I lived like nobody's business. So life goes on. I went to that company two years. And after that, I went back to the health club chain again. And they, cause they asked me to do, I, I don't know what it was. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, it was, I think it was either Dusseldorf, Germany or Hamburg or something. And I left what, I don't remember. I left that company again. Cause I just got sick of it. And I went back into the nightclub scene, right. And got partnership in a club and I got mixed up with the mafia again, but this time it was a new mafia because that had been like 15 years or 10 years, maybe
0: uh, the new mafia.
1: Yeah, you know, or you know, like a new generation, the younger kids, the new dog, and so, and the one thing about these Arab mafia guys is that they respect the elders, so to say. Yeah. So you know, I was I was older, they were younger, so they we sort of had a dialogue. They they knew who I was from what I did before, but the club that I had had East Germans as a doorman, and one night, you know, I was down downstairs letting some VIPs in and stuff, and the new doorman was like a Polish guy and they're all like MMA fighters and boxers and shit. And he said, Hey, you can't come in here to some Turkish guy that I knew. And I said, Hey, it's cool. It's, we don't let dirt, you know, shit like that in here. And I said, Hey man, we don't talk to people like that here. You know? And I turned around and he kicked me in the back and punched me in the face on the side of the head. He didn't know who I was. He thought I was just like some employee or whatever. And uh, cause he was new. And I, I fell down. I got up and I went to like, just go to talk to him. Like what, the hell's going on? I wasn't going to fight anymore. Those days were over. And the other guys from across the way, across the street were in the same company thought I was running after him or getting him or something. So they came down, they just, they separated my retina. It's still separated, broke my nose, broke a couple ribs, kicked my head in. I mean, it was bad. It was bad.
0: Yeah, Not good. Not good.
1: Not good. So I, you know, I was, you know, like 40 at that age, at that time. Let me close the door. And, uh, I was 40 by that time. Here, I'm getting my ass kicked, right? I'm like, this has got to end. Well, I had a toxic relationship at the time, and I'm driving down the road, and she was insulting me as usual. Gosh. And I told her, get the hell out of the car. I'm sick of this shit. So she got out of the car, and I just hit the gas and took off. And literally, 100 feet later, there was a speed trap, German police. So they're like, stop. And they're like, what the hell? You know, I was going like 100 in a, tw- a 10 zone or whatever, You know, something ridiculous. And they pulled me out of the car, like helped me out of the car. And I'm crying. I got snot running out of my nose. But you got to realize I'm 280 pounds at the time, a big bodybuilder kind of guy. And they're like, what the hell? What's going on? And by that time that they, we get calm me down and stuff, she walks up because it was only 100 feet. And she's like, oh, he's a war he's a war, uh, uh, war criminal. He's murdered people. And just started saying that that's how she was. She was crazy. And I just had it. I was done. So on the, to the left side of me was a small, I don't know, I guess she was a trainee police officer. She looked really young. And then I had on the right of me, two cops and then right, right left of her on another cop. And I just reached down, unsnapped her holster, pulled her, pulled her weapon out like as easy as day and went to bring it to my head. And she, the little girl beside me put her hand on top of mine, pushed it back down into her holster and just looked at me and said, you don't want to do this. I know you. I was like, my girlfriend at the same time saying, do it, do it, do it. Like, you know, shoot yourself. I was done, man. I was done. So that, that was diffused. I didn't, you know, you'd be surprised German police are very social. So I was sent home without my car or my license. So at the time I didn't really have a home because I was homeless. I was living with a girlfriend, with friends where I could stay overnight, but I had an apartment that I was renting out to a buddy because I couldn't afford to rent. So I went there, he was there and he left. And I said, Look, I need some time alone. Can I use places? Yeah. So I went in and in my closet I had my uniform. I had my pictures of, you know, me in the army and stuff like that. And I had a K-bar that I got from the Marines on a plaque. Mm-hmm. And so I took the hang uniform out, hung it on the wall or on the door and, you know, fixed the awards and straightened it out. Took the t- took the picture, put it under there, took the cable out, stuck it to my neck and was just going to slice my jugular. And literally right as I put it to my neck, I got, there was a loud knock at the door. And I was like, Jesus, I can't even fucking kill myself. You know, <laughs> so man. I'm like, I yeah, and I uh, ripped the door open. I'm like, what? And it was that police girl, right? The, the little one. Yeah. I'm holding the knife and she takes it and puts it down, like takes my hand again, pushes it down on the table, and leads me into my own living room. And she said, you know, she sat and I and said, Look, you don't want to do this. I know you. I was at one of your readings when you were reading it out of your book a few years ago. You're a fantastic guy. You're gonna you're gonna change the world. I'm like, What? Like, and I'm I'm just really, you know, depressed and long gone. So I did I just I don't know if I didn't pay attention or it wasn't re I don't know. Anyway, so she gave me the German Bussy Bussy, a one-and-kiss on each cheek and walked out, and I was like, I'm going crazy. Like I'm I'm done. So I called my buddy. To this day, I don't know if that was real or not. I don't know if that happened or not. I think it did, but it's hard to tell if that actually happened. So I called my buddy, Michael, in Austria. And I said, Michael, either you come and get me or I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And so he sent a plane ticket, flew me to Austria, picked me up and dropped me off at a monastery, a Benedictine monastery. It's a Christian monks who meditate, funny enough. And I was showed up. I'm like, the hell am I doing here? So I'm like, cool, monks, super. They can solve my problem. So I went in. I'm like, hey, how you doing, Stephen? I can. Like, this is what I'm doing. These are my problems. Help me out. And they're like, go ahead and take a walk in the forest. Like, what? Give me some answers. Like we don't give answers. No one give answers. We give you room to come up with your own answers. Dude, I stayed there eight months. No hand. No cell phone. No laptop. Nothing. Just did my own thing. And it was it was pretty amazing. It's when I ended up finding myself. What I was really capable of, my identity, my purpose, really crystallized what I wanted out of life, and then I got out and I.
0: All right, guys. So Stephen had a little quickie. Uh, his daughter came in, so he's talking. But listen, man, I've known Stephen.
1: About now, that. Man.
0: Oh, you're good, Steve. I was just telling the audience how much, I've, how long I've known you, and that you know all this stuff is real. So you guys pay attention, and these, these are these are things that happen to veterans, and this is a perfect yeah. example of what could happen to you if you take the right path. So.
1: Yeah. Well, what happened was when I came back is I got a call from the old corporation and they said, hey, we got a job for you. I'm like, I'm done with you guys. I'm done. And uh, they said, it's in Budapest. So I was like, oh, <laughs> something something inside of me said, I'm going to go. So I went first day in Budapest, first day in the new business. What I did is I, I did business turnaround. So I did business turnaround for 20 years. That's all I did. So I go into a business, find money, cut the costs, you know, inspire the people, fix the teams, and then walk away and do another one. That's all I did. And so I went to Budapest walked in the front door of the business on the first day and I saw a woman there and I said that's my wife and she literally is now my wife. Like the first day on the first day in Hungary. Yeah, you know, crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's why I'm living in Hungary, right? But I didn't move here full-time until three years ago. So that was 10 years ago. That that didn't happen until full-time about three years ago because I still have my residence in Germany because that's where my business is based in Berlin. But I didn't move here the full time because I was still working. I was traveling four days a week. I was consulting companies and placing products to you know, like big box retailers, doing online sales for German products. You know, I was literally running around doing stuff for all kinds of companies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it all turned into that point. It was all about my network. So people would bring me onto their company because I knew I knew somebody that could do this or that or the other. Mm-hmm. So again, I wasn't really doing the work. I was only coordinating. So I know everyone says your network is your net worth and all that bullshit and go out and collect your business cards. No, it's not about that. It's about relationships. What can you do for the person in front of you? And I have this concept called creating space. It's in our book Unleash Your Humble Alpha with my partner Lane Ballone, who's a SF Special Forces veteran as well. Not as well, but he's a veteran as well and yeah, SF. Guy, yeah. yeah. So, um, we're gonna have I don't want to front. On.
0: We're going to have Lane on later FYI.
1: Yeah, 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 great guy, amazing guy. Almost half my age, but he's just an amazing guy. So, you know, we have this we have this concept called creating space, and that creating space is when you realize you only have you only control one thing and that's your intention. You can't can't control the outcome, you can't control anything that person does, you can only control, control your intention. So you gotta let go of any preconceived notions, agendas, you know, cookie cutter solutions, pitches, let go of it all. Show up for that person wholly and fully, and you're gonna win every time. If you treat people like that and elevate them, leave them in a better place than when you met them you're going to fly. And I mean that. It's got to be genuine though. You really got to care for people. You got to really care about them. You can't just you know, say, I'm going to do it so I could gain. Leverage. Every relationship on the planet is based on integrity. Every healthy relationship is based on integrity. And if you don't have integrity in your relationship, all you got is leverage. So you're either being leveraged or you're leveraging. <laughs> and that's not healthy. And that's where it comes from. My three core principles that I, that I live by and that we also teach about in the book, honesty, integrity, transparency, honesty with yourself while you do what you do. Transparency is the way that you step into the world with that honest, with that honesty, and, you know, as transparency. And then integrity is a byproduct and your ongoing reputation. And integrity is not only doing what you say you're going to do or not doing what you say you're not going to do. It's also about owning up to your bullshit, right? And if you screw up, just say it and fix it. Simple as that. And that's where integrity comes from. And I can tell you since I've been living like that for about 15, 18 years now, no one can have anything on me. You, 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 you. I mean, you know, you know my reputation. Some, some people don't like me for God knows why. They, you know, they're the people. The people that don't like me are the people that don't confront me and don't talk to me. Like they, they won't talk it out because I don't have anything against against anybody. And everyone knows I can stand. You know, you could try everything you want. You can't have nothing on me because everything I've ever done wrong, I've I've owned up to it, right? And I'm always honest and open about what I do. So transparency, integrity, that's so important. So if, if there's one thing I can say to you guys out there, to guys and gals out there getting out of the military, don't try to leverage your relationships. Build on them. Build on the relationships. Don't go, oh, I got to meet this guy because he knows this guy. No. If you want to meet that guy because he knows this guy, call him up and say, hey, I know you know this guy. Could you help me out? Just ask him straight out. You know, don't try to bullshit and play all these games and collect business cards and call him 15 times and write to 10 emails to make it look like you have a relationship. Just be honest and open, open up front about what you want. And I can tell you, getting a mentor or a coach is key to being successful anywhere. And you, you want to get a mentor in the business that you want to open or you, that you're running that's already been there, basically find somebody who's been in, been there and done that, exactly what you want to do, and ask them to be your mentor yeah. and then get a coach to help you through this. So a mentor is like they show you the big picture and the attitudes and the, you know how you go forward the coach tells you step by step basically how to do the things so you basically need both if you really want to get ahead i've always had a coach i have a media coach i had mentors out the wazoo i don't know like five or six mentors still do coaches media coaches all all kinds of stuff and you don't always have to pay for them you know i mean mentors i've never paid for a mentor because that's usually a honorary sort of
0: yeah it's kind position. of an honorary title position kind yeah. of Plus, you get to take a little bit of the accolades of their success because you can say you were there with them. So yeah. not to anything from But a real mentor, like you, Stephen, because you've been a mentor to me since I met you, what, two, three years ago. I reached out to you numerous times about different things, and you've always stepped up and been there for me. So, I mean, that's another reason why I reached out to you for this because I knew you would have so much value in this for the veteran. The guys that are getting ready to become veterans out there, guys and guys that are getting ready to separate, to know that no matter what your story is, no matter where you come from, no matter what you did in the Army – You can be just as successful as you want to be if you get in the right mindset when you're getting out, you know, when you're getting out, what you want to do. Like Steven said, he just walked up to Mick Jagger and said, Hey, I'm your bodyguard. And he's like, what?
1: But then it ended up happening
0: because he just took that approach. He just took that straightforward, no BS, just telling you the truth. I'm going to be your next bodyguard. And then it happens. So you guys out there, listen, man, a lot of these veterans I'm bringing on board, I'm bringing them on board for a reason because they all have different values that they could give to this group, to this, this podcast to allow you to, to think of things. Now, Stephen's information stuff will all be on the website. You'll be able to find his book. You'll be able to find his new book. I've supported the new book and put out for a lot of people to get that. A lot of stuff that's online though, with this stuff is it's better. Like he said, if you really want to reach out to somebody and get a mentor and you think Stephen could be that, then reach out to Stephen. I mean, he's not hard to find. I mean, he's on Facebook. He's on social media. You can Google his name and it pops up all over the place. Trust me, because I've done that before. And Stephen's Stephen's just a good human being. He's a soldier. He's a veteran. But he's got a real heart. He takes care of his family. He's been doing a lot of things in business. This guy helps more veterans than I think I can count in a year. You know what I'm saying? I do support. I do a nonprofit and stuff, but not like him. He's directly impacting veterans that are trying to start their new job or new careers or new, they're being entrepreneurs. And Steven is a critical role in that. I'm in, a, in, in the entrepreneur group. I've talked to you guys about this before. It's got 14,000 plus veterans in it that are all either trying to start a business, just started a business, or they're in there because they can be mentors of guys who are starting businesses mm-hmm. like me. And Steven's one of mine. I got a couple other guys, Robert Garcia, a couple other guys have been really there for me when I needed them. And I don't bother them, but I reach out. I'm not, I don't have an expectation to. I think that's another thing like Stephen's saying. You, I, me personally, I don't have expectations when I reach out to a mentor. I just, Hey man, could you look at this and tell me what you think? And Steve will be like, yeah, man, let me, give me a day. I got to meeting. yeah, no problem. Steve, whatever you, when you get time, just, you see the expectation needs to be, he's helping me. So I got to be flexible, right? I can't be upset or, but I got to know that going in. And I think that's a bigger part too, when you're building your mentor kind of composite of directors. who you're going to, yeah. you got to be, understand that patience got to be, because these mentors you're reaching out to are busy men or women because they're running business and helping a lot of people. So you just got to remember that out there guys. So, but don't not try to find some mentors. He's, it's like a battle buddy speech. You know what I'm saying? Kind of yeah. a battle buddy speech again. The reason you have a battle buddy is so that you don't stray too far to the left or right. You stay on that path. You're trying to stay on it. Your battle buddy helps keep you straight. And that's what a mentor does. It keeps you kind of on the right path. So, you, you know, he even might let you hit, like I, I have one mentor. He's a really close friend of mine. He's been for a long time, but that son of a bitch will let me hit a bump pretty hard. And then go, see, I kind of gave you the heads up and you weren't paying attention. You weren't listening. And then I'm like, you're right. I wasn't listening all the way. Cause I have a, I have a problem with zoning people out. Once I heard, I think I heard the information I wanted to hear. I kind of stopped listening. So that's one of my things. <laughs> that's one of my faults as a, as a business owner. And and I've really fixed that a lot lately, especially having Steven and Robert and a couple of other guys that I'm mentoring now, but they're mentoring me now, but I've learned to listen. And like Steven said, make somebody have the appreciation of that relationship when they leave. Like that mattered. Like, yeah. He wasn't just, fuck, you know, he was just grabbing a business card and rolling out. This guy actually made me feel better leaving. Like he, that, that conversation meant something. So important stuff, guys. So pay attention to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, man, there's so much out there you uncovered there. It's it, You really, I'm glad that you you uncovered that because that's something that it's hard for me to say. Yeah, I like a about- you know how to do it, so it's great that you have. We had, you had the experience. I remember our first conversation there at the uh, beer fest or whatever it was. Yeah,
0: San Antonio, yeah, Texas, fest. baby. Yeah,
1: yeah, San Antonio. And that's
0: where we first met face to face. But me and Stephen had talked online. Yeah. You know, blah blah blah. But the point. Oh is, yeah. He flew up from Europe to come down to this event. That one of my buddies, another one of my buddies, who actually he's the guy who makes my vodka back there. But he ran this event, and I was down there at it. Stephen showed up, so I actually had time to sit down with Stephen and talk to him for thirty minutes or whatever. We talked. So, out there, guys, listen. Relationships. I, I go back to all this for all you veterans out there. When you go out to start a relationship start a business, building that business is about building relationships with people and making those relationships relationships that you can count on that they're relationships, not just associates or you know, yeah. whatever. They gotta be they gotta have input in your life and matter, or it's you're not gonna put the effort into it. You're just not gonna do it because it's there's no value. Like he said earlier, right. it's gotta be value both ways.
1: And well, uh, if I can if I can interject yeah, there, yeah. the one thing that you can be sure of is that people will want to talk to you as much as possible when you're known for providing solutions. And when I mean solutions, I mean, I can help. For instance, if you, if you come to me and say, look, Steve, I'm looking for someone to make my vodka, right? First thing I would do is I'm going to say, okay, what do you need it for? What's that? You know, I'd ask you all the questions so I could know exactly what you want. Then I'd find somebody for you and I check first if they would want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then of course I'm solving your problem. And guess what? I'm solving his problem too. Cause I'm, bringing up a client exactly. you know saying exactly. always solving problems and when you're that look i can tell you i'm going to run down a few things that i just did the last two weeks mm-hmm. and this is only because people know me like that right so one is a product someone came to me through somebody else who has a product that wants to launch internationally and to the big box retailers within a week i got them a new manufacturer Australian distribution and American distribution, right? Now, what did I do for that? I made like three phone calls and an email, introduced them and backed off, right? Well, I'm getting an upfront fee, five-figure fee upfront. I get 3% net sales for the next five years. Met a guy in Austria. He has this weapon spray made out of porcelain powder. I got him hooked up with the SHOT Show. We went to the SHOT Show. He met one of my buddies there who's a distributor. Right for the weapons companies. He loved the product. He signed the contract. I got an upfront fee. Now I have three percent of revenue for the next five years. I have equity in probably twenty-five companies right right now. I just recently invested in a veteran-owned company in San Diego. San Diego. I'm raising two hundred K for another San Diego veteran company. I own twenty-five percent of another veteran company in San Diego as well. That all happened in the last couple of weeks. Only because people say, "Okay, see, get shit done." I know if I bring him in, he's going to get me. The money or he'll find somebody who can find somebody to get the money or he'll, he'll manage it for me. He'll look at my business plan. I'll look at my one pager and all this kind of stuff. But don't forget, I'm taking money for this, right? right. Now, when it comes right. to the vet, when it comes to the vetpreneur tribe, when it comes to the vetpreneur tribe, I'm, I've consulted directly over 300 veterans, you know, directly over 300 right. veterans in the last like year and a half or whatever, me included. I mean, me included. I'm, I'm one of those 300. I'm just halfway and, and again, all I look for is I create that space, I show up with one intention, and that's how can I solve this guy's problems and, and add value. That's all I care about. Right? And then I don't care about what I'm going to get out of it or whatever because it always works out. Right? It always works out some one way or the other. So, and this here being on your podcast is a perfect example. Like I came here because of what we did together. So this is awesome for me. That's a relationship. Now yeah. people are like, but I need to make money. Well, this is investing in relational capital. That's right. how you make money long-term. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm rich. In,
0: see, I look at it as this. I'd rather be rich in the relationships I have in my life to make my life better than have more money than I know what to do with anyway. I mean, it, you got to weigh things guys. If you're out there, listen, money is, is nice and it's important, but it's not the end all thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I die one day, I want to know I had friends around me. I want to know I had relationships that mattered and I impacted, I helped people in their lives or it changed their lives, maybe we got them on a direction. And Steven's the same way. I mean, Steven's made plenty of money. He doesn't need to make more money, but he makes money because he has a family. He's got children. He's got a future for his kids. He's doing all that. So he's still making money and he's doing right. He's not overcharging anybody. He's charging no. value for his business, for his expertise. and his. Ve- Let me tell you something. This dude's got contacts up the wazoo, so I'm just telling you. I mean, he's worth talking to if you're a veteran out there starting a business. His business profile and what he does, he helped me get my stuff started. Me and him still got some more conversations to have after this meeting. But (laughs) I got some questions for him for other distribution issues I have. But the point is, you guys got to understand what Steven is teaching you here today is that, and I take it, look, everything he said on this podcast so far, you know what the biggest thing I took from this was? That when you you leave a conversation with somebody, leave them feeling better about the conversation, that sticks to me. Because, see, every day I deal with veterans and soldiers that are in need of something because they come to my nonprofit. And I always want to make those guys feel better. Like, we took care of them. They're good to go. They feel, they're like happy that they came to me because it solved their problem. There was no drama. There was no judging them. We just tried to help fix whatever, make them feel better, that it's not their fault, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The point is, that resonates so much with me, man, because that's really what people should, how people should treat people is when I talk to somebody, by the time we're done, they should feel better about what's going on with their life or their day because. We have had a really good conversation. It wasn't bad. But you really care.
1: But yeah, you, really but you care. also show exactly. that there's
0: actual concern, meaning that, there, that there's care there, that it matters to you. Yeah. I, I could tell you, man, I could tell you some stories about some veterans that come in here and some soldiers that come in here with their spouses and all these problems. By the time I leave here, then they're, they're hugging everybody and shit, and they're just, they're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys would do that for us and stuff. But just, they're, they're just awestruck. And that builds our market, and it builds who we are and who what we do. So that's what I try to tell people. Look, that's more important to me than if they give me a dollar or they give me a $1,000. What's more important is that they leave here feeling they're confident they can come here and get support or get what they need or they can get the answers they need. So big deal here. So Steven, but he is that guy I'm telling you guys. That's why I got him on this. I almost want to say I wanted to beg him. I would have begged him if he'd have said no. I would have kept
1: <laughs> Bro, don't you don't know, have, have to beg man, me to get get my mug on, on TV. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you, know, so, so, you know,
0: you're a cute guy. You'll be all right. <laughs> but it, it, it's a matter of – Us as veterans understanding when we transition out, we're not in that lifestyle anymore of that overall responsibility of being a soldier or being a sailor or being whatever. You have responsibilities to your family now and to the people in your community around you, and you try to build out your lifestyle from the things you learn in the military, the seven leadership principles you should still stick to. Those should never leave you because those are all things that make you a better human being to begin with, in my opinion and make you a better person. So,
1: and, and don't expect to come out of the military and transition directly with the same kind of sort of structures that you're used to, because it's not going to happen. What was more, most challenging for me was knowing how the civilian world worked. Yeah. You know, that was really a challenge for me to include like signing up for water and electricity. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, especially in Germany. I wouldn't know how to do it in America either. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I was, you know, 27 years old. I was starting over again. So I, I look at it like this. When I got out of the military, I was basically 19 years old again right you know psychologically speaking like i had nothing about the civilian world so when you get out you got to realize one thing don't no chips on your shoulder no disgruntled veteran running around bad attitudes and stuff nobody owes us anything nobody owes us anything you've either earned something and you got it or you didn't you know i mean that's my opinion other people might think that oh, the world owes us or whatever but i can tell you this that's <laughs> scarcity mindset that's scarcity mindset
0: yeah. See, I've had no. that conversation. There's not a veteran on this planet that is owed anything but a thank you for serving your country and providing the things you provide. If they want to give you something in gratitude or a discount or whatever, then that's up to them. But you shouldn't expect those things. What you should expect is the respect of the fact that you were a veteran and a thank you for serving.
1: Cause we've had, it's always better. It's yeah. always better to be for them to find out on their own that you're a veteran, instead of you going up there, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm a yeah, veteran." Totally, you know,
0: yeah. Stop wearing all those damn veteran hats and shit, try to. Make- <laughs>
1: there's shit a time out. and place, yeah. right? There's a time and place, but yeah, when you're
0: around a lot of other veterans, I can see wearing those hats, so and yeah. you can tell where you were. Does show their Storm Vietnam, Iraq, yeah. but so I don't wear that shit out to church. I mean, come on, man. People, you know what I mean? What are you gonna do?
1: Yeah, well, you know, in, in the end, right? If you're getting out, remember that relationships aren't just something that you get to get something. Yep. If you, The law of reciprocity states that if you invest in those around you, you will receive mm-hmm. back. So yep. give what you have, whatever knowledge that is, whatever problems you – that's the number one thing I tell you. Solve problems. I don't care if it's the bag lady down the street, your mom, your boss, the executive, fucking you know, Bill Gates. Solve a problem for them. I mean, look, when I walked up to Olivia Newton and John, I was like, why, is, why aren't your products in Europe yet? Oh, we haven't, you know, done anything. Well, let's do it. What do you mean? I'm a business guy and I live in Europe. Let's do yeah, it. it. Yeah, I'll it's get it's like problem solved. Boom. Right. And and num- the the biggest thing is the imposter syndrome. On one side, we're overzealous when we get out because we're like, I'm a leader. I was a sergeant or whatever. You know, I'm a leader. I can do this. And then you go into a company and you're screaming at people or you're you're talking sort of in that military tone. People are like, shh, not with me, motherfucker. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and you're like, "What's going on? Why aren't they listening?" You know, and uh, so you got to sort of take it to the sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, that was—I mean, my biggest shock was when I got out. I was a doorman. I told you, I'm standing there. You know, in the military, I can—I wouldn't even have to know who you are if you're in your A's or whatever it's called now, your blues or whatever they call dress, whatever. I can see your combat patch if you've been in combat what units you're in awards you have your rank how long you've been in how many combat tours so i don't have to talk to you automatically i'm giving you respect for whatever i see you get out you're a doorman wearing a polo shirt with a hard rock cafe logo on it and some 15 year old kid says to you i'll get a real job you fucking loser you know i just got back from iraq and i'm like i'm going to kill you you know
0: it's like 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 a bug
1: (laughs) you know but you got to realize it's all gone man yeah it is it's It's not there anymore the only thing (laughs) <laughs> Only thing that you carry with you is what's inside of you, what you brought with it. You know, esprit de corps, that intestinal fortitude, that whole, all those really cool words that we use in the military to make it sound great. You know, that's real inside of you. But honestly, civilians don't give a damn.
0: They don't really, in the end, they don't. And that's what I was telling earlier in another po- earlier podcast, not you don't live your life with who you were. It's who you are now. Who you were was important back then when you were back then and when you're in the army and wearing your uniform and people see you. But who you are now is who you are now. Like I have, this is funny because me and, me and James just talked about this in the last podcast. We talked about it like a retired Sergeant Major or whatever walks up. No, oh, I'm a retired Sergeant Major. Yeah, so, I mean, we're well, none of us, neither one of us are wearing uniforms anymore, so that don't mean squat. I mean, I, I respect the fact that that's what you were, but that's about as far as you go. So what do you want, dickhead? You know what I mean? Whatever it has got to go <laughs> into it, it's, it's Trying to lay people down, like, it don't matter anymore what you want? Well,
1: the book, it's funny because you're, you're touching on the book again, Unleash yeah. Your Humble Alpha. It's yep. about identity. And if you don't have your identity nailed, you'll never find your purpose. And that's why these guys run around, they go behind, they take it the identity of their title or their position. You've seen it, do you know who I am? Yeah. I'm a retired servant. No, 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 that's what you were. That's what not you what were, were. Not who you it's not, are. Yeah. It's, that was what they were, that wasn't who they were. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. between a title and an, an identity. And what happens is when you find your identity and it's in the book, so basically we take a story out of our lives for every chapter. And then we, we give the lesson we learned from that story. And then we give the structure of how to, t- how to learn that. And then we give you action steps at every single chapter. And it's all things like this. Find your identity. Then you're going to crystallize your purpose. Once your purpose is aligned with your identity, it amplifies your identity and gives you that massive presence that you see people like when Bill Clinton walks into a room, you don't have to see, see him, you feel him. Yep. That's where that presence comes from. It's so aligned
0: like the spidey sense. It just kind of, when you yeah, have that aura exactly. exactly. about you, it does that. It's like when, yeah. hey, even then, when I used to walk into a room when I was in the military, I could tell everybody knew I was in the room because of the way their behavior changed. They could just, no. sense, they could sense their first arms in the room or whatever. <laughs> but like I tell people, you're not in anymore. because yeah. the first year I got out. My first job when I got out was I was a drill instructor at a juvenile detention center. So I was really technical. I put a drill sergeant on my uniform. So I technically was still that guy. So yeah. that first year I could still be the guy yelling and screaming. and know and acting like a crazy man because they wanted me to. But yeah. then, after that, when I left that, one went to a hospital. I couldn't talk to my staff like that. I couldn't talk to the people at the hospital because they look at me like I had something going on my forehead or something. Like
1: what did you do at the hospital?
0: I was a military liaison between the civilian hospital and the military hospital. So, when a soldier was admitted into the hospital, I was the guy who touched base with the, the base and talked to all the doctors because I knew all the lingo and
1: yeah. they wanted somebody
0: who had a background in that. And they knew I was.
1: There's like doctor. one person in the whole state that does that? Or how'd you get that job? <laughs> I, I, I
0: knew somebody who knew somebody. You know, what I'm There saying? you go relationships about the relationships I had before that that led to it because I was working the drill I was making 16 bucks an hour as a drill sergeant then they offered me a job and paying me $75,000 a year you know making $5,000 a month I'm like yeah I'll take that <laughs> so <laughs> whoop, but it's a whole another lifestyle change again because now I'm going into a, a more of a business attire business yeah. world and I'm dealing with like colonels at the hospital in charge of the hospital talking about the soldier and what's going on this treatment and stuff so it was a different change but I had to still take myself even though I was an ex-soldier I still had to present myself as a person from that hospital. I have yeah. a background in the military, which gives me an advantage talking to him because he can say whatever he wants to me, and I'm going to get the lingo. I'm not going to yeah. look dumbfounded like I don't understand the jargon yeah. or the or the acronyms or whatever. So that was one comfortable thing because I would introduce myself: "Hey, sir, Dad, I'm John Valentine. I work in the hospital. I am retired military, sir, so you don't have to worry about your lingo." You know? And he would always, "Oh, that's great, John." So you would sit down and just shoot the shit. Yeah. But the point is, I used that as an advantage of my past, but I didn't use it as my present. I still went in there as Mister right and dealt with the issues and help with the soldiers' issues. But you guys got to listen, man. Steven's serious. Like, I already pre-ordered their book and everything, everything. I bought the book because I'm excited about reading the book because I know there's going to be huge value in there for me as a veteran because the two guys that wrote it are veterans. One's SF, one's an Army, you know what I'm saying? But I know that one of the guys is a successful, huge, successful businessman. and I know So there's going to be things in that book that are going to teach me more stuff.
1: So, Well, and it's, it's all based on our own lives, so there's no theory at all. Like doesn't... zero theory, everything in that book is literally what we went through and how we found these lessons. Like, I mean, like crazy stories, like the Iraq story with a little girl that you know was all burnt from head to toe, and I gave her a piece of candy after we took, took her out of the out of the dispensary or what do you call it, the medics track, and she smiled. You know, there she was, burnt, lost everything outside of Basra, city was burning, and she smiled at a butterscotch candy. You know, and it just it just changes you, man. Yeah. You know, so so these are all things that. I then later looked and I said, well, why did that happen? It's like, cause I met her where she was. I didn't try to talk to her. Look at me. I'm the hero. I got down on the knee. I looked at her in her eyes and I just showed her love or whatever. I showed her compassion and I gave her a piece of candy. Maybe trying to show, look, it's just compassion out there. You might be in this trouble right now, but there's, there's a way.
0: Yep.
1: And, and I didn't know that at the time, but now looking back, I went through the entire process of breaking that down. What's the lesson in there? How can I teach it? Why is it beneficial? And then we give you action steps, things like that for it. So it's really key to writing the book was it took us a year to write the book because we had to research and sort of break down our entire lives. Right. Where were the high points? Where were the low points? How do we get from A to B? How do we get from C to D? All these places. And what was successful? Wasn't it successful? Can we teach it? Is it teachable even? Can we teach it? And then how do we teach it? And what are the action steps? So that was really, really difficult. But, you know, at the time – you know, last two years, I literally just, I, I just want to give you guys an example of what I did. So basically I was a, a turnaround consultant for 20 years. Like I said, traveled four days a week, nine countries. That's what I did. I lived here in, in, in Budapest. And one day I came home almost three years ago. And I said, baby, I'm done. I can't do shit anymore. Kids are two and three years old. I'm staying home. Right. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. So I sat to myself, okay, I need to solve somebody's problem. Whose problem can I solve? And I said, okay, first of all, who am I? right? I'm Steven. What did I do? I was in the army. Okay, great. Okay. Veterans. Okay. Go on Facebook, look for veterans, right? Found the Vetpreneur tribe, 3,000 people in the Vetpreneur tribe owned by Andrew. And and I wrote Andrew. I said, Andrew, I'd like to give a free live every day in the the Vetpreneur tribe and just give free business advice. So he said, go ahead, man. I'd love to. So I started giving free business advice. Within three months, I made a hundred K from people saying, I heard what you said. I get it, but can you do it for me? Right? And that Really, I mean, no overhead, no cost, no nothing. And that really showed me, holy shit, you know, when I really truly give 100% value and I'm creating something instead of competing with someone, it just flows. It's it's like, I can't believe how incredibly fluid it was. I don't want to say easy, but it was fluid. And I, I I ended up doing for almost a year, five lives a day in different groups. And I had to cut that down. And then about two years ago, Andrew just said, hey, everyone thinks you own the group anyway. Why don't you just take it over? And then, so now you know. Since two years, I own the I own the tribe. I brought Lane nice in as a partner. Yeah, <laughs> what's that?
0: So that's a nice way of putting everything. But yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and now we're we're restarting the warrior council, but I we're doing one. it. I was in that. Yeah, I know you were. I know you were. So we're restarting the warrior council, half price of what it was before. But then we have a fire team upgrade. Fire team upgrade is only twelve people max of out of the entire tribe. Because so I can't. Is that's one on one with me with a group of four. And then we're gonna. What we want to do is, we really want to break it down per industry. So you're in a pod or a group or a squad with right. people in your industry, and then you always come back to the Zoom room where everybody is, and we say, "This is what we came up. With, this is what we came up." And they go back into the tribe, and they're gonna post their progress. So what that does is, it shows that the veteran, tri- the veteranor tribe, is actually moving forward with business because we're not. I don't have the tribe because it's fucking cool, right? It really pisses me off that people don't take advantage of it. You know, they join the group and they just sit there and then they they, they bitch and control. You know, there's probably like 150, 200 people that actually take advantage of it every single day or every second day. But these guys that come in there just to to ride Look, either you want to do business and you want to be successful and you want to contribute, right? Support, elevate, you know, and contribute or you don't. You know, I get it. Not not everybody hangs out on Facebook. There is no need. But we want, because we want to make an impact, a big difference. We had our live event last year in Washington, D.C., yeah, no, right 40, 40 vets showed up man we killed it it was amazing the, the you know you know the, the military influences conference the founder cortez said he never saw that much energy in one of the rooms the whole time it was like that was like the top thing not not because we're great because we were there to solve freaking problems we weren't there to talk about ourselves we weren't there to just to say blah blah look at me i did this i did that we weren't talking about it we were like what do you need? There's a marketing guy. There's an online guy. There's an operations guy. There's a manufacturing guy. We had 10 panelists there and you had 15 minutes with each one. And you could just go through your entire business with every single person. And when, by the time it was over, they're like, holy shit, that was amazing. My whole business has changed in three hours. So everything you do in life has to be solving, even if it's with my wife, man, you know, just hanging out, you know, let me solve a problem for it. If I'm going to the store, I'm going to make sure I call her or if I'm doing anything on the way or whatever, and always solving problems. And you make it to a routine to the point where people are like, Jesus, man, are you for real? You're like, it's just, are you for real? And to the point where you have so many contacts, you're overlapping everything you do. So that it takes such little effort because you're always in that mode that yeah. it becomes your habit. You know, you know, rep- repetition is the mother of all learning. So um, you end up being that person for real and people are like, wow, you know, crazy. And you don't do it for that, though. That's the byproduct, right? That's where the integrity, that's the byproduct. That's not why you do it. You know? And so all these guys out there, be solving problems, right? Get rid of that chip in your shoulder. No one owes you shit, right? Okay. And then just go for what you want and actually go for it. If like, I got turned down from my MBA, they said, no, you can't. this is the second oldest business school in the world, one of 57 out of 10,000 business schools that are triple accredited. And I said, I want to go to that school, only that school. And they said, "Sorry, you can't get in because your your grades are too low and your score and all this kind of shit." And I said, "I I I want to face face." And they're like, well, "You can come, but it's not going to change anything." It didn't even take ten minutes, and they're like, "Holy shit, you're so in! You are so in! We, we would love to have you." You know, it's 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 it's, it's I am not going to give up. I'm not going to say, "Oh man, I always want to do that, but they wouldn't let me." Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What are you doing? The enemy's shooting at you. Just say, "Oh man, I'm sorry here, hands up." Hell no, nope. right? That nope. same fighting attitude that we had on the outside, we need on the inside. Yep. And you, you just got to say, it's a winning proposition. It's never a losing proposition. You always go for the win, winning side in your mind. Even if you get shot down, you're like, all right, another approach, another avenue of approach. Do I use close air support? Right? Do I use the engineers? an
0: ambush. What are we doing there?
1: <laughs> you know, and, and the, the Bangalore torpedo. What do I use? You know, what I mean, it's like, how can I go in there? <laughs> So, and, and I don't mean to be like, you know, like, oh, look at this and stuff. But what I'm saying is there's always a way to get what you want. There's always a way to do what you want. And there's always a way. I mean, look, I've, I've been broke three times now, like, literally. You know, I was never poor because poor is a mindset. Broke, I've been, you know, three times, like, literally broke, one time homeless. But it never bothered me. It was like, okay, cool. So even if they do come for my bills, I can't pay them anyway. So fuck them. You know, it's, <laughs> and I just didn't bother me. I just wiped it from my brain, you know. And if we realize that the most of, most of the things that we worry about in life are things that never happened yet. Every thought we have about the future is us projecting what we think might or might not happen. So all that fear, all that angst, all those problems that we see ahead of us, they even happened yet, so don't even think about it. Just dr- drive on right now. What can you do right now to have an impact on your world and your life enterprise? What can you do right here, right now, to make a difference? And it starts with when the, mail, when the mailman comes, if you have a, mail, a mailman. When the lady next door knocks on your door. Or whenever, that's where it starts. You make, people want to go out there, you know, oh, end global warming. Let's go on a demonstration. You're not going to fucking change shit like that. You have to do it in your life first. If you're not recycling, if you're not using solar power, whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing with saving the planet and all that kind of stuff, if you're not doing that, I don't want to hear from you. Yeah. If you can show me in your life that you're making an impact in your life enterprise, you're going to create what call radiant yeah, radiant value that's going to just ripple effect around you. People are going to see, oh, look at this guy. He's really doing what he says, what he believes. Mm, I want to follow this guy. That's how you get that. So you build influence, you know. People people talking about influencers. That's we used to call them opinion leaders back in my day. Yeah. Um, you know now now they're called influencers. So if you want to be one of those influencers when you get out, the first thing you do is wherever you work. I don't care if you're an employee or if you're on your own business. Visit in a circle form, spiral form, starting at your business or the place you work, and just start cascading out in a spiral form everyone around you every business every everywhere you can walk in and say hello tell them who you are what you're up to if you can help them if they need anything and you might I mean you might think that sounds cheesy but that's how I've built every single business I've ever built and I mean even the new businesses in San Diego we're doing that the flyers are now done for the new business and we're going to start flyering fly lane is already there lane's one of the partners of course as well He's in partners in everything I do. He's in he just got to San Diego today. The other partner, Jeff, he's also a veteran, is driving down tomorrow. And the other veteran owns the place. So we have, we each have 20, 25%. And the flyers are done. Veteran veteran designer, right? We everyone from the tribe, we use. Matter of fact, two of the guys that we invested in, their business. Are in the tribe. The other one is in the tribe that we're raising the, the money for. Our graphic artist is in the tribe. Our website person is in the tribe. We use everybody from the tribe as much as possible for everything that we need to get done. And that's what I mean, you know. I, and and I don't promote it. Who wants to do my website? I know who to go to. Right? right? Yeah. The point. The people who stick it out. The people who are there contributing. The people who are there adding true value. And true value is how can I help you? How can I solve your problem?
0: And it's all great, man. We well, listen, Steve. I'm going to give you a few minutes. I want you to plug your book one last big time. I want to let them know about that. Cause I'm telling you, I'm excited for that thing to come out. I mean, I, I pre-ordered because I'm a good boy. But I also <laughs> know that there's things coming out of that book that's going to help my life and help what I'm doing with my business. So I appreciate that. So take a few minutes, Steve, and see what we, as a veteran and mil- active duty military community, can do to support you with what you're doing and what you got going on.
1: Well, you know, the first thing I would say is join the tribe, Vet Panor tribe. It's, in, it's on Facebook and check it out. There's a lot of great resources, resources in there. Don't be shy to post. And if no one, no one answers or no one, no one you know, comments or even likes it the first time, don't worry about it. This is how the group is, right? You got to be known. People got to know who you are. Even even I don't get them many comments sometimes. It just happens. When the interaction is there, it's there. Number two, the book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha is the name of the book. The website is humblealphabook.com you go there, you got to register and then you can go to it's a crowdsourcing campaign. So it's a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. and every book we sell $3 or we feed three kids. Yep. So not $3, but every, every book we sell, we feed three kids mm-hmm. with the generosity feeds organization. It's something that was just near and dear to our hearts. If you go to the crowdfunding page, you'll see why. So we'd appreciate you guys spreading the word about that, grabbing a, grabbing a copy. You can get the PDF, the audiobook, or the soft cover paperback. I mean, or hardcover or a bunch of books for your corporation, whatever you want. There's all different kinds of perks there. So I'd appreciate some help with that. Yep. I personally, we have a program to go with, the humblealphabook.com called the Humble Alpha Leader Program. And that's basically us taking you through the book with one-on-one or a group of three or four guys. Yep. And we actually learn, we teach with you as we go through the steps and we ensure that you're, you're in what we call quality of life. Everyone hears my videos at the end. I always say, it's all about quality of life. That's what it's all about. And so this whole program leads you to integration across all four areas of body, mind, relationships, and business. And when you're truly integrated around all those areas, you have that true presence. And the leader inside of you that's already inside of you comes to shining. You and go. so that's what that whole book is about.
0: All right. Well, there you guys heard it, man. That So check out, listen up. Follow through. Steven's episode will be posted out on, on the schedule. You'll see the episode date launch. You'll see all that. And then with that, it'll tie into the, all this information. It'll be on Steven when you click on his little deal there. It'll pull up the Humble Alpha book, you know, the website, all that stuff. It'll pull up the Vetrepreneur Tribe, too. We'll promote that on his flyer so people know where to go to sign up. All you got to do is show that you're either active duty or a veteran or you're going to be a veteran and you can get in. There is a. It isn't just a free. You got to kind of join. So there's some th- questions you got to answer. But if you're a military or veteran, you're going to get in. So just like Stephen said, reach out and then get in there and start asking questions. Introduce yourself. All that kind of fun stuff. That way, people start to know who you are and they can recognize you.
1: And add value, man. If you have a skill set, add value and never hold back. Don't say, "If you want to know more, call." No, no. Just add value one hundred percent. Anyway, if just just like I said, I did. I just added so much value. People are like, "Man, it's overwhelming." Can you do it for me? You know, so it's, it's, it's that simple when you add value and you don't have no expectations, like you said, no expectations of return, you're going to get a return more than you ever, ever experienced, but don't expect it to kick off right away. Hell, I, I do a video every single day, every single morning called the daily purge. I am on episode 409, right? I get 40 likes someday, some, some, like today it's over 400. You know, it's just, it just, just there's no reason for it. Right. It's all algorithms. All
0: people's schedules and algorithms, right? So it's all yeah. Right. But you know, so, thank you, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate you, brother. I look forward to the next time I get to get you on here. So we'll be good when we get a different episode type. We'll get you back on, man. All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone, I'm out of here.
1: Just that star